Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer survivorship with licensed clinical social worker Angela Kerala. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. Angela, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Okay, so um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, and currently I work in the Smilo Breast Center as well as the Yale Cancer Center Survivorship Clinic. And part of my role, um, I meet with patients, um, and I, I spend time just getting to know them, checking in, see how they're doing. Um, you know, I really like to find out how patients are doing on an emotional level, particularly with regards to their diagnosis, how they're coping and managing throughout treatment, um, as well as um, into, you know, survivorship. And when I meet with patients, you know, what I like to talk to them about is that, um, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, um, it can affect all aspects of your life. It can affect it socially, emotionally, spiritually, financially, and even sexually. And it's really not uncommon um, that when patients are diagnosed with cancer and are going through treatment, that they might develop some anxiety and some depression um, as a result of what they're going through. Um, and so it's, it's not uncommon for that to um, impact them um, shortly after diagnosis as well as throughout treatment. But on the other end, when I meet with patients in the cancer survivorship clinic, I often see it at that point as well. Um, you know, um, I, I can't tell you how many patients will share with me, you know, I did fine. Um, I was strong. I fought this thing. I didn't cry at all the whole through throughout all of my treatment. And now that everything's done and everything's behind me, now I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. Uh, I'm starting to get anxious and worried. Um, and, you know, really, it's just about listening and validating and normalizing their feelings that, you know, that what they're going through is normal and actually is quite common. Um, you know, it's it's pretty often that I meet with patients in the cancer survivorship clinic and they are experiencing, um, you know, those fears and those worries that the cancer could come back and, and even um, occur uh, or reoccur. Um, and so while I'm meeting with patients, I complete a full psychosocial assessment ask them a variety of questions to get to know them better and see how I may be able to best help them um, um, throughout this whole process. Yeah, you know, cancer is one of these things that it really does strike the fear of of God and everything else in you. I mean, it, it is one of those things that doesn't, you know, take time to schedule on your calendar. It comes oftentimes out of the blue. And and it really does have just tremendous fear associated with it. So, you know, and and from what you're you're telling me and from what I've experienced as a clinician as well is that this is something that never completely goes away. So let's kind of walk through the journey of of a cancer patient. When they're first diagnosed, is that when you first meet them and and how do you kind of aside from telling them that you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, it, it does tend to be a little bit of a scary experience. How do you kind of help them to overcome that fear? 
or deal with it or manage it or kind of not put their life on hold and somehow continue to put one foot in front of the other as they try to deal with this diagnosis. Right. So I think that, um, yes, I do meet um, a number of patients who are diagnosed at the beginning of treatment. And I, I really think it's about talking to patients and really understanding where they're coming from, validating their feelings, um, normalizing that what they're going through is very similar to what many others um, go through. And those fears, those worries, those concerns that they are having, those are real. And many people also experience that. I think just being there to provide them with support as they go through the process, um, you know, and really helping them understand that um, a side effect of going through cancer and treatment is, you know, experiencing some anxiety, some worries, some fears, sadness um, as a result of what they're going through. Um, And from my standpoint, I like to assess and make sure that those worries, those fears, those sadness isn't impacting somebody's quality of life. You know, it, and, and I like to, to educate them and explain that it's okay to have a day once in a while where you're sad or where you're worried or scared. You know, it's okay that you might be feeling anxious and, and you lost a night of sleep or two over this. But when you're noticing that those worries, those fears, that sadness, it goes on for several days onto several weeks at a time, you really do need to make sure that you're letting your team know. Um, let your medical oncologist or your surgeon know. Um, ask to speak with um, a social worker who would be associated with your clinic. And then they can further assess is their need for additional support and services. Um, If I do identify that a patient would benefit from additional support and services, I frequently refer out to um, providers in the community um, who can provide, you know, mental health counseling and support. I'll I'll often encourage patients to attend a local um, cancer support group in their area um, to uh, provide additional layer. Um, One of the other things that I will do is... um, you know, I, I talk to patients about one of one of the helpful interventions for people that are experiencing anxiety and depression is um, meeting with a professional who specializes in cognitive behavioral interventions. Um, you know, talk to patients about you know the connections between their thoughts, their feelings, and their behaviors, as well as what truly is and what isn't in their control um, as a result of everything that they're going through. You know, when someone is initially diagnosed with cancer, it truly does feel like it's completely out of their control. And what lies at the core of our fears and our worries often are things that feel like they're out of their control or out of our control. And so I will talk to patients about how can you bring back control over something that feels so out of control in your life and help them identify strategies um, to help them move forward. Um, I also like to encourage patients to make sure that they have an adequate support system around them. We do know that by having family and friends and neighbors um, and a medical team that surrounds you through this process helps you um, in the long run. And and that's so important. And I think um, one of the things that, you know, for cancer patients, as well as for people going through whatever ailment you may be going through, thinking about what is within your control and what is not within your control. And, you know, the fact that um, 
there are things that you can do that are constructive that are within your control that can kind of empower you um, and in so doing reduce your fear. So can we talk a little bit more about some of those strategies? What kinds of things would you talk to a patient about that that are within their control that might reduce their anxiety? Right. Well, first and foremost, I would um, encourage patients to um, think about, you know, think about what is in their control. And um, some of the things that patients have identified when I've worked with them are things like, well, I have control whether or not I choose to even treat this cancer. Um, I have control whether or not I choose to go to my appointments or follow up with my scans or get my blood work. Um, so that that's a choice that they have that is in their control. But what we also know, and one of the things I educate patients about, is that you you have control over. Um, you know, what, what what we do know is that if we're getting adequate sleep, you know, adequate hydration, making healthy food choices, um, you know, exercising or walking as much as we can, those are all things that help us feel better. Um, those are things that help with worry. Those are things that help with sadness and depression. And those are things that we do have, you know, control over. Um, and so I will encourage them to just think about or, or kind of reframe, you know, how they're thinking about something. Um, also thinking about you know, trying to take this whole process one step at a time. Um, I have patients who often feel completely overwhelmed by all of the things that they're asked to do. You know, this appointment, that appointment, surgery, dealing with this side effect, that side effect. It's just sometimes can feel so, so daunting and overwhelming. I'll encourage them to try to take it one day at a time, or even one hour at a time um, to try to move forward in, in accomplishing the things that they need to accomplish. Yeah, that's such such good advice. I mean, I think when we think back to what you were talking about in terms of what you can control, you may not be able to control the fact that you got cancer. That That is a historical fact uh, for cancer patients. The they can't go back in time and change. But what they can change is what they do moving forward. So going to your appointments, choosing to get treated. And at least those are things that you are doing to help overcome this cancer. Um, you can't control whether or not your cancer will respond, but you can control whether or not you talk to your medical oncologist and, you know, surround yourself with a team who can treat the cancer, um, no matter whether it chooses to respond to one therapy or not. You know, the other thing that I think is overwhelming for a lot of patients is that it's not just the cancer, which is scary in and of itself. Um, many patients are, are looking at their cancer diagnosis um, and kind of looking in the mirror and evaluating their own mortality, which they may not have done uh, in a while. But at the same time, there's also other fears. And you kind of alluded to this at the top of the show as well. You know, fears about, well, are my friends still going to be there for me? Is my is my spouse still going to love me? Am I still going to be able to have um, a sexual relationship? Um, 
am I going to be able to afford all of these medical bills that are piling up? And oh, by the way, how am I going to communicate this diagnosis to my children? Um, Are they going to be scared? Are they going to be diagnosed with cancer? And so the snowball kind of um, spins sometimes out of control with it's not just a disease. It's not just a cancer. It's all of these other things that then kind of add complexity to what is already a harrowing experience. So can you kind of break that down for us and and give us some advice that you might give patients in trying to manage all of these other aspects of cancer that they may be facing as well that might be adding to their anxiety? Um, So I I think that um, encouraging and talking to patients that this is the one time in your life where it's okay to ask for help. Um, It's okay to turn to others and say, I can't do this on my own. What do you suggest? How do you think I should manage and deal with this? Um, You know, I I will often talk to patients and say, you know, this is the time in your life where it's okay to also be accepting of help. So not only ask for it, but also be accepting of it. Um, And so, Really, you know, letting talking to family members, talking to your friends, you know, letting your medical team know. Also, you know, again, um, asking to speak with your social worker within your clinic. Um, these are all um, people in your lives that are there to help and support you. And so what I was about to say was, I think that there are so many resources that people can avail themselves of that can help, but we need to take a short break for a medical minute. No worries, though. When we come back on the other side of the break, Angela and I are going to take a deeper dive into all of the resources that can help you if you or someone you love is going through a cancer diagnosis um, in honor of Cancer Survivorship Month. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, hosting a Smilo Shares Cancer Survivors Series June 15th. Register at YaleCancerCenter.org or email canceranswers at yale.edu. The American Cancer Society estimates that over 200,000 cases of melanoma will be diagnosed in the United States this year, with over 1,000 patients in Connecticut alone. While melanoma accounts for only about 1% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths, but when detected early, it is easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for melanoma, the goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence in Skin Cancer grant is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Angela Kerala. We're talking about cancer survivorship and the fear of recurrence and and a number of anxieties that cancer patients face uh, along this journey. And we started off by talking about, you know, things that you can control and things that you can't control. And the fact that fear is a totally normal part of of any cancer patient's um, journey. 
But Angela, right before the break, we were starting to get into practical advice um, as we started to talk about the fact that it's not just, you know, the fear of the diagnosis of cancer itself. There's also for some patients a as a spiritual kind of fear when they're thinking about their mortality and what's going to happen um, when they die. Uh, for some patients, there's also a, a relationship fear, what's going to happen um, with my relationships, with my spouse, my friends, um, sometimes a, a sexual fear. Am I going to be able to have the kind of sexual relationship I did before? Sometimes there's fears of employment um, and the repercussions of a cancer diagnosis in terms of either employment or insurance. Am I going to be able to continue my job? Am I ever going to get health insurance again? Am I ever going to get life insurance again? There's often fears associated with children. How do I tell my child about this? What are they going to go through? What is going to be their emotional toll? And you know, could they potentially get cancer as well as a fear of and a guilt sometimes of, my God, am I doing this to my child? And, and, that, and then there's the whole financial fear of, great, well, I've got this diagnosis and I, I've chosen to trade it, but then that's going to be associated with all kinds of bills that are going to come in. And my gosh, now is there a fear of bankruptcy? And so while people are going through that treatment phase, uh, even before they get to survivorship and the whole fear of recurrence, which we'll get to, can you talk a little bit more about specific strategies um, that people can use in dealing with all of these other fears that just kind of compound things as, as they're going through treatment? Absolutely. Um you know, I would say um, there are a variety of resources and services within the community that can help with a number of the things that you um, identified. Um, again, I think, um, you know, reaching out to your team, asking to speak with your clinic social worker, your clinic social worker should have um access to and a list of a variety of resources and services. Um, you, they would be able to answer questions, you know, related to how to apply for disability. They'd be able to answer questions about applying for FMLA here in the state of Connecticut. We actually had something that started um, as of January, the Connecticut Family Leave Act. They'd be able to help address any questions or concerns that you had related to that. Um, also with cancer, um, depending on what type of cancer you have, there is a handful of uh, financial grants that you can apply for while you're in active treatment. Um, and active treatment is typically defined as um, recently having surgery, um, going through chemotherapy or radiation treatment. And they help um, not ongoing, but kind of a one-time thing where they, they might help a little bit with, with your mortgage or your rent or, um, you know, your utilities, um, that sort of thing. Also, depending on what hospital, you know, um, or uh, a center you're being treated at, they most likely will have some kind of program that you can apply for um, that could potentially help out with some of the medical expenses that you're um, incurring. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there's a variety of programs available out there as well that you could apply for that could potentially help with the expense of medication. Like, for example, oftentimes drug companies have co-payment assistance programs that could help, you know, provide you uh, with support. Um, if I meet with the patient and they're expressing um, concerns related to, say, their sexual health, um, you know, re with regards to their relationship, um, with their partners, um, you know, again, depending on where you're treated, there quite possibly could be a clinic that specializes in that, um, you know, in addressing um, those sexual concerns that you're having. Um, you know, it's not uncommon. Um, uh, for example, women who go through breast cancer um, do experience and can experience a variety of um, side effects related to their sexual health. Um, and so there are resources out there that we can um, refer, refer you to. Uh, if somebody expresses concerns related to their faith or their spirituality, again, there are chaplains um, or spiritual leaders in the community that we can help us assess and get you um, connected to. Um, so again, the social worker quite often is the hub of your resource um, who then can then provide you with the different resources and things that are available. Um, I know in the past when I've had patients that have had concerns related to their relationship and communicating with, you know, family members and friends or their spouses, um, you know, uh, particularly at their initial diagnosis, um, that is something that I can definitely talk to them about. Um, and kind of a general rule that I will sometimes say to patients, they'll say to me, you know, um, I just don't know who, who should I tell? Like, what should I say? How much information should I share? And I'll usually say to them, um, my, my advice would be to tell those people in your life who you're going to need to turn to for help and support. Um, you know, um, and I see the range. I see people who um, post it to their 500 Facebook friends um, about their diagnosis before they even leave their initial consultation. And then I have people that say to me, do I need to even let my, uh, my, 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 my children know about my diagnosis? Um, and so you really do get the whole, um, the whole range of um, questions and concerns. And again, I encourage patients to go back to let those people in your life who you feel you're going to need to turn to for support and help through this process. Those should be the ones who you, who you let know. Um, again, you know, when um, patients have young children, um, we, you know, we have a variety of social workers, um, are often trained in a model called PACT, and it's called Parenting at a Challenging Time. And it's all about how to talk to your children based on their age and their developmental level. Um, so clearly what you would tell like a four or five-year-old would be very different than what you would share with, say, um, someone who's a teenager or in their early 20s. Um, and really, um, uh, you know, the American Cancer Society um, has recommended that really you just share a couple of basic things. Um, you, you let them know about your diagnosis. Uh, you let them know your children know um, uh, where the cancer is located. You share with them what the plan is. Like, for example, I'm going to have surgery, then possibly radiation, or I'm going to start with chemotherapy, and then we're going to go from there. Um, and then you also share with your children how their life might be impacted um, during this time. I, I agree with you. You know, tapping into the resources that are available, whether they're 
financial resources or human resources, talking to a chaplain, talking to a social worker. Oftentimes, there's also other resources um, that can help just with, you know, taking a load off and taking a breath um, and giving yourself permission to to breathe and to um, to get get through this. Angela, the other the other area where you spend a, a great deal of time is in survivorship. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, you know, all of this fear and anxiety, many people kind of anticipate that there would be fear and anxiety associated with the initial diagnosis and and even while you're going through treatment. But even after you've kind of gotten through that, you've done the surgery and the chemo and the radiation and your doctors have said, congratulations, uh, you know, your scans look good, uh, we'll just follow you. It's reassuring, but it's not entirely reassuring. So talk to us a little bit about the fear of recurrence that some patients might have and whether it's justified or not justified and how you approach that uh, as a social worker in the survivorship clinic. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just to um, to clarify with everyone, uh, fear of cancer recurrence, what, what that means, um, it's when a patient has some worry, some fear, a concern, you know, related to the possibility that their cancer will come back or, or even progress. Um, and, you know, it's important to know and understand that this is one of the most commonly reported um, psychological issues that are experienced among cancer survivors. And the majority of cancer survivors um, in research, you know, report that this is one of the most significant unmet needs in helping them learn how to manage um, fear of cancer recurrence. Um, You know, in my work within the cancer survivorship clinic, I would say that the majority of the patients that I meet with um, do experience some level of fear of cancer recurrence. Um, most of them them do. And, and I always will ask patients when I'm meeting with them, you know, I will say to them, you know, one of the most common things that cancer survivors experience is this fear that the cancer could come back and could progress? You know, is that something that you are experiencing? Is that something that you've thought about? And again, quite often they will they will indicate that they have. Um, and um, it's important to let survivors know that this is so common and so normal. In fact, it's so common and normal that. Um, it's surprising to me when somebody says that they don't experience some level of this. Um, and when I'm meeting with patients, I really like to get a sense of at what level are they experiencing, you know, this, this fear of cancer recurrence. So I'll ask a variety of questions. Um, you know, uh, you know, in the literature, it's anywhere between 50 and 70% of cancer survivors across all cancer subtypes um, experience some level uh, of this fear of cancer recurrence. Um, and also, it's important to, to point out that um, fear of cancer recurrence is not strongly linked to someone's prognosis. Um, and it may even occur in an individual who has a relatively good prognosis. So it really doesn't matter what kind of cancer you had, the stage, the size of your tumor. Um, again, it, it can, you know, it can occur and have heightened levels regardless of, of the percentage of whether or not the cancer would even come back. Um, and 
you know, it's interesting because some of the things that I like to pay attention to when I'm when I'm meeting with survivors, um, you know, there are there are things that would make somebody maybe more vulnerable for developing fear of cancer occurrence. Um, for example, um, if someone is a young adult, and when we refer to young adults, um, the adolescent young um, adult population is anyone between the ages of 15 and 39. However, I work in the adult um, cancer community, so that's anyone between the age, ages of 18 and 39. Um, so if you're a younger cancer survivor, um, if you're female, um, if you have a history of, um, you know, psychosocial distress, um, a mental health history of anxiety or depression, um, maybe during your cancer treatment, you had more severe side effects like pain and fatigue or even sleep issues. Um, but also if you have family members or friends who have developed cancer, gone through treatment, or um, sadly have even passed away um, from cancer, those are all things that could um, contribute to making you more vulnerable for developing the fear of cancer occurrence. Angela Kerala is a licensed clinical social worker. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.